we have an interesting story from a book called Small Miracles. Extraordinary Coincidence from Everyday Life by Gita Halberstan and Judith Leventhal. Thank you everyone for writing this book and let's go ahead and pray. Father God, Lord bless us as we read your miracles and your coincidence. Open our eyes and our hearts and minds that we know that all things are possible with God. God is on the throne, Lord, and our imaginations are right there with them. As God is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. As the Holy Spirit is in union with God, so are we. Our spirits are in union with God. Lord, nothing missing, nothing broken. Shalom. Let it open the windows of heaven, Lord, and pour out a blessing like you said you would in your word. We thank you for those blessings. And Lord, you said in your word that you will establish us and give us power to get wealth so that you can establish your, your covenant, establish your word here on the earth through us in Jesus' name. Let it be let it be it is so it is so in jesus name amen small miracles the book page 129 in a cold day 1942 inside a nazi concentration camp a lone young boy looks beyond the barbed wire and sees a young girl pass by she too is moved by his presence in an effort to give expression to her feelings she throws a red apple over the fence, a sign of life, hope, and love. The young boy runs over, bends over, and picks up the apple. A ray of light has pierced his darkness. The following day, thinking he is crazy for even entertaining the notion of seeing this young girl again, he looks out beyond the fence, hoping on the other side of the barbed wire the young girl yearns to see again his this tragic figure who moved her so she comes prepared with an apple in hand despite another day of wintry blizzards and chilling air two hearts are warmed up once again as the apple passes over the barbed wire this scene is repeated for several days the two young spirits on opposite sides of the fence look forward to seeing each other if only for a moment and if only to exchange a few words the interaction is always accompanied by an exchange of inexplicably heartening feelings at the last of these momentary meetings a young boy greets his sweet friend with a frown and says tomorrow don't bring me an apple i will not be here they are sending me to another camp the young boy walks away too heartbroken to look back. From that day forward, the calming image of the sweet girl would appear to him in moments of anguish. Her eyes, her words, her thoughtfulness, her red apple, all were a recurring vision that would break his nighttime sweats. His family died in the war. The life he had known had all but vanished, but this one memory remained alive and gave him hope. In 1957, in the United States, two adults, both immigrants, are set up on a blind date. And where were you during the war, inquires the woman. 
Why? I was in a concentration camp in Germany, the man replies. And she says, I remember I used to throw apples over the fence to a boy who was in a concentration camp. She recalls. With a feeling of shock, the man speaks. And did that boy say to you one day, don't bring me an apple anymore because I am going to be sent to another camp? Why, yes, she responded. But how could you possibly know that? He looks into her eyes and says, I was that young boy. There is a brief silence, and then he continues, I was separated from you then, and I don't ever want to be without you again. Will you marry me? That was on their first date. They embrace one another, and she says, yes, yes, yes. That was on Valentine's Day, 1996. No, excuse me. That was on 1957. But on Valentine's Day in 1996, on a national telecast television with Oprah Winfrey, this same man affirmed his enduring love to his wife of 40 years. You fed me in the concentration camp, he said. You fed me throughout all these years. Now I remain hungry, if only for your love. Now remember the darkest moments of one's life may carry the seeds of the brightest tomorrow. What a coincidence, huh? Coincidence, they, the end, that was the end of that story. Our next story is on page 126. This one says, it starts out, Coincidence don't happen only to adults. They can happen to children too. To little children also. Just recently, my nine-year-old son reported the following story to me in a tone filled with awe at the marvels and mysteries of the universe. Last Thursday in school, he said, I ate my snack during morning recess and it was salty, so I got very thirsty. We have a soda machine in the hallway and I wanted to buy a soda, but I was worried that recess might be over, so I asked a kid what time it was. It's 11.05 exactly, he told me. I had five minutes to spare, so I ran down the hall to the machine. I have a habit of looking at each quarter before I put it into the machine because I'm always hoping that somehow I'll get an old one that's worth a lot of money. So as usual, usual, I looked at each quarter before I inserted it. My teacher is very strict and gets very angry when we come into class late. I was so afraid that I was going to miss the recess bell that I made a mistake and put in an extra quarter. I put in four quarters instead of three. When I looked at the last quarter, I saw that the date was written on it was 1980. I also saw a nick that, that I had made on that quarter during class when I played with it and scratched a nickel across its surface. As soon as I put in the four quarter, I realized my mistake. I pre- pressed the coin return and banged on the machine. But the only thing that came out was the Sprite. I noticed the principal walking by and I I asked him if I could get my lost quarterback. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, he said absentmindedly. I could tell he didn't think my lost quarter was important. I ran back to class and later that day, I went over to the principal again and asked for my quarter back a second time. 
Soon, soon, he said. He seemed impatient. All week long, I asked him for my quarter, and all week long, he repeated, soon, soon. But he never gave it back to me. Exactly one week later, also on Thursday, my son told me, excitement rising in his voice, during the first morning recess, I again wanted to buy a Sprite from the soda machine. Uh, Again, I was nervous about being late, so I asked the kid for the time, and he said, it's 11.05. He said, exactly this time, I was very careful to be sure to put in only three quarters. I put in the three quarters, and up came the Sprite. I was about to race down the hall to my class when I heard something drop into the coin return slot. I put in my fingers and pulled out a quarter. That's strange, I thought. So I looked at the quarter closely. It was dated 1980, and it had a nick on it. It was my quarter, the exact same quarter I had lost the week before in the machine at the exact same time, on the exact day, same day of the week. Can you imagine that? So what do you think all this means? I asked my son, curious to hear his interpretation. Hey, Mom, he said with a white grin. This lesson is easy to figure out. Really? I said, amused. And what exactly is the lesson here? When it's coming to you, it's coming to you. He yelled exuberantly, triumph glinting in his eyes. <laughs> when it's coming to you, it's coming to you. He yelled exuberantly, triumph glinting his eyes. Yida Hoverson Mandelbaum. Comments. What a blessing for my son that through the coincidence he fortuitously learned that justice is indeed served in this world. Obviously, losing a quarter is not a major tragedy, but still he might have come away from the experience a bit sour on on the universe sense of fair play, perhaps on a small scale. This experience might have given rise to a child's speculation that God cheats little kids, but given the startling cemetery between the two events, he came away with the perception that just the opposite holds true. Amen and amen. I remember as a as a kid, um, I would uh, I would imagine nickels and dimes and pennies, and I would find nickels, dimes, and pennies. It seems like my faith would kick in. I would I would go fishing, and I would believe and imagine I was going to find. Uh, fishing string uh, hooks to the fishing string bait on the fishing string and sometimes a fish caught in the fishing string and I did a a lot of things well I did a lot of fishing with that believing uh, that wherever I go I can find I can find the tool, I can find the situation, it will it will approach you. But I believe this kid got his quarter back because he kept asking for it. He kept asking for it. So you know, if you ask as a as a little kid and say, Father, uh, please heal my back and have faith in the words you say 
and have the love of a child as you say it, he'll heal you. I once, I told you before, I was moving a old fence and I stepped on a rusted nail. It went right through my boot into my into my foot, in my heel, and it must have hit a nerve because as I walked around, the nerve started it started uh, crippling me. Went to the doctor, took care of it. They couldn't do anything about it. Nine months later, I was still asking my father to heal my my foot. On the ninth month of asking, nine months, uh, I would walk to the restroom in the nighttime, and it would cripple me. On the ninth month of asking, Father, heal my foot. Boom, my foot got healed. And it also reminds me of the nine months when I was selling a house that I loved. You ever fell in love with a house? I had this house for sale, and and I was doing everything to clean the house. I cleaned, I changed all the uh, screens on it. I did the maintenance on it, you know, had the carpets clean and everything was just spotless on the house so I can sell it. And I was raking the leaves outside and I had other projects I wanted to do. So I asked, I, I kept praying, I kept asking God and on the ninth month I was raking leaves on the back doing projects for the house and I said, Father, Please help me sell this house. And boom, the presence of God came down through the tree. And I received the sale of the house. I knew it was sold. I was so happy. The love of God came down from heaven and touched, touched me like, like fresh spring water. I was so happy when I went to the real estate office and let my friends know that the house was sold without a buyer, without any escrows, but it was sold. I knew it was sold. I just, you know, and I was just so happy at God's way of doing things. Uh, there was uh, some business people that wanted some of our real estate business, and they took us out to eat. And we went out to eat the office. And I kept witnessing to that girl, to that one of the ladies there that was going through something. It was a title company, and the title company was trying to get the whole business from the office as we sold, we were selling a lot of property. Um, and I witnessed to her, and I told her about the love of Jesus. I was in love. I had her do the sinner's prayer. I brought her to the Lord, and, and back of all her problems, and. Uh, it worked. I that, that that afternoon the house was sold, and I I did my projects. So just to let you know, asking as a child, you have that right. As a child, keep asking as a child. Don't let our hearts get stubborn. Don't let our hearts get hard. Don't let oh this is the way it is. For, for God said, all things are possible with God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for the audience. We pray for the people listening. Lord, we believe that all things are possible. I pray that you will heal them. Lord, give them new body parts, new 
new houses, Lord, new curriculums, new study strategies. I pray that you would infuse them within, with power and strength to get your covenant, to get your, your covenant established as you were with Abraham, Lord. I pray that you would be with the people, Lord, that your covenant will be established in their lives. And they will see, Lord God, in the heavens, new transformation and you working with them to establish your purpose on earth. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we say, Holy, 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 restore, Lord, restore the faith in the hearts of the people. Restore, Lord. We thank you for being a good daddy to us and giving us many blessings, Lord. Thank you, Father. We receive them with love. And yes, 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 thank you for reminding me that you answer my prayers, Lord. Thank you for selling the house and blessing that family. By the way, that family was eight kids, eight total, that bought it. And I blessed them. I left the refrigerator, the washing machine. I left everything for them, even the pots and pans and I went on to other things. I left the vacuum cleaner, the Kirby vacuum cleaner. In Jesus' name, we are blessed. Amen. Have a great time, family. A story from my mother's favorite book by William Smith. This one's called Paying Attention. Yeah, on page 195. Young Love. I was preaching for a church in Northern California. They had no youth minister, no singles minister, no education, college, or involvement minister. So I was all of them in my youth minister capacity. I decided to take the young people on a canoe trip down the Russian, rushing river. Actually, it was called the Russian River. This was a very bad idea in Northern California. The water runs very fast and it is not to be trusted. My only excuse is that I was very young and consequently can plead both ignorance and temporary insanity. The brochure that was sent to the church made it sound like a nice adventure. Fresh air, exercise, natural wonder, excitement, scenic beauty, get close to God and to each other. All the necessary ingredients for a spiritual exhilaration church outing. We left before daylight, three carloads of us, about 25 people in all. In my involvement minister capacity, I have planned on there being several adult chaperones to give spiritual guidance and to keep some of the more active boys and girls out of the bushes. Every one of my adults had last-minute emergencies which providential hindered them from being involved. In my single ministry capacity, I had planned for there to be equal number of boys and girls. My thinking was that there should be at least one boy and one girl in every canoe. The theory being that not only is that romantic, but deep in every male's genes there's a primordial instinct for how to handle canoe and a girl in rough waters. Both theories proved to be totally wrong, especially the one about the handling of a rough girl. I mean a girl in rough water. But you must remember that I was young. 
I ended up with two more girls than boys. Neither of them had ever been in a canoe before. It was a beautiful day, as bright and warm and promising a spring day as you can imagine, which just goes to prove, once again, the monster, the mother nature, excuse me, is not to be trusted. She is deceitful, lulling you to sleep so she can take full advantage of you when you least suspect it. The first warning of potential trouble was when we arrived at the canoe rental headquarters. There was a long heated discussion among the people behind the counter. They talked in strong whispers and it was impossible to tell just what the debate was about. But I overheard things like, I don't think we should. Remember what happened the last time we did this? Well, I'm not going to be responsible. I don't think we'll lose that many. We could get sued. <laughs> I thought the problem was with our reservation and the deposit. Or maybe they didn't have enough canoes. Or maybe they didn't have enough staff to pick us up at the end of our trip. But it wasn't too long before I discovered what it was. The conditions of the river. Some torrential rains at higher elevations, coupled with an exceptional heavy runoff of melting snow from the Sierras, has seriously raised the level of the velocity of the river. Apparently, those staffers who thought the making money was more important than safety won out because our trip continued. When we reached the departure point, my alarm grew. The river was obviously out of its banks. The noise of the muddy, foamy, turbulent water was defying. When I saw large trees, boat docks, and dead animals floating down the river, I expressed my apprehension. The person in charge assured me this was no cause for concern. He said that it was perfectly normal. We launched 12 canoes into the rushing flood. I had decided to take the two odd girls with me. I do not mean odd as in strange or peculiar, any more so than a man would view any female. I only mean odd in the sense I had no boys to pair them with. They were college age and attracted enough to turn heads. My parting admonition was, now let's stay together. I'm sure they tried. We hadn't gone 200 yards before disaster struck. Every canoe had tipped over at least once. Lunches, sunglasses, seats, cushions, paddles, shoes, an assortment of life jackets and articles of clothing, along with a few kids were floating down the river, much of it never to be seen again. I was trying to be everywhere at once, trying to get canoes upright, trying to find lost articles, trying to find lost kids, trying to find the bank of the river, and failing miserable at it all. There were several other groups in the river, and it was impossible to tell who and what belonged to whom and which. Gradually, things began to settle down. The kids began to get the hang of canoeing, and the water became less turbulent as the river widened, and the descent became more gradual. The trip became rather enjoyable, except for those kids I couldn't account for. 
I didn't know if they were ahead of me, behind me, or underneath me. At some point, I began to notice another canoe, not of our party, that contained two young men. Now, these young men had not only been astute enough to notice the two young ladies with me, they had also observed that they were not with me in that special sense of boy-girl with. It sort of frosted me a little, and I made it a, as difficult as possible for them to advance their cause. However, their persistence and, and dogged determination was admirable. Only one thing can make men act like such fools, love. As we neared the end of our trip, there were a particular wide stretch of very calm and placid water with beautiful oak trees lining and overhanging both banks. It was lovely and chanting and it drove those love-crazed boys to the brink. Their time to score was very limited, so they made a desperately bold and determined advance against the rather flimsy fortifications the girls had thrown up. They threw their canoes up so close to ours that I could see the little beads of erotic perspiration that desire had placed on their foreheads. These boys had such a bad case of the spring itch that they were broken out with little red blotches, like hives or bee stings, all over their faces. They were pathetic. They began the oldest song in dance in history. It was disgusting, but it worked. That is why it's so old, however, they were so observed by their objective and so excited by their success that they forgot two things of great importance. They forgot where they were, and they forgot about me. The stretch of the calm water was narrowing to one last rapid. Pretending to pay no attention, I slowly, carefully maneuvered my canoe and consequently theirs towards a large rock just above the rapids. Love is a marvelous thing. and it, it not only blinds us to the faults and blemishes of the beloved, it blinds us to impending disaster. They never saw it coming. About 10 feet before the collision, I spoke for the first time in a very conversational tone. I said, Boys, you are about to pay the price that all men pay when they allow women to divert their attention. You're about to look very foolish, and I pointed to the rock, which was now looming over their heads. They looked up, paddled frantically, screaming wonderfully. Then one of them bailed out of the canoe in a marvelous acrobatic display of sheer panic. The other, determined to see it through to the end, clung to the sides of the canoe, thinking it would save him. It didn't. The prow of the canoe struck the rock and reared high into the air. The rear end filled with water, and then it disappeared beneath the surface with its lone occupant still clinging fiercely to the sides. Both boys went down into the water, both they and their gear were baptized and the river carried them away and I saw them no more. I went on my way I went on my way rejoicing 
I hoped that Duncan cooled their ardor somewhat and made them more rational. I'm sure it cured their rash, and I am sure the experience did them some much good. I have often wondered how they told this story and in what endearing terms and memorable language they described me. I had a marvelous moral in my mind when I began this piece. It was about love. I think whatever it was, I forgot it. You probably would too. So just laugh and appreciate God's gifts and don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> Amen. That's the 12 step program slogan. Don't take yourself too seriously. This too shall pass. Easy does it, but for the grace of God, live and let live, and first things first. Amen. Our next story is called Staying in Love. Not quite so young, but still young love. I was teaching English at Albert University in Montgomery. It was right after class, and I had gone to my car in the parking lot. I saw him standing casually by my car and it made me wonder a little but it, it was very cold. No time for loitering. I could tell much about him except that he had a lot of dark curly hair sticking out from under his baseball cap. His jeans were old and his jacket looked a little worse for the wear. When I saw his light his face light up. I followed the direction of his gaze and I saw her. She was blonde and cute. She was wearing a heavy tweed coat with a white scarf hanging down from the front. He was waiting for her. It struck me even then that he could have wasted, that he could have waited in the car where it was warmer. But then I remember that it was like to be young and in love. And looking at her, I would have waited outside, too. He walked toward, toward her as she came across the parking lot, and when he got close, he smiled like he was really glad to see her. And she smiled, too, right up to his face. They didn't say anything. They just stood there in the cold, looking into each other's eyes and smiling. Then suddenly, he reached out his hand towards her face. He did it so quickly that I anticipated her reaction, flinching, ducking, or slapping it away. But she did it. She never moved. She just stood there, eyes wide open, smiling and trusting. His hand stopped about an inch from her face, and then he extended his index finger and touched her right on the tip of her nose to tell her it was red from the cold. I guess, but he might have done it even if I didn't be... If I hadn't been, they both laughed and linked their arms around each other, walked into the car, skipped a little. When they got there, when they got there, he opened the door and when he got in, she slid way over so that they could be close when he got in. And it was so clean, so natural, so beautiful. I went to my car a little warmer. As I drove away, I saw them again still in the car, sitting close and laughing. I hope they never forget how important it is to do the little things, the natural things, 
to smile, to touch noses, to trust, to link arms, to sit close, and to laugh. Because if they remember, they'll, they'll always be in love. It is not the big occasions, anniversaries, and birthdays, things easily remembered, that count. It's the little, everyday kind of things that are so easily overlooked that sustain relationships.